Expresso Prime, a podcast all about primes, short enough to listen to while you enjoy your cup of coffee. Hello, hello, it's the Sunday Scaries of Expresso Crime, and today's episode is part two of the, of serial killers with the last name starting with S. This list includes 15 serial killers and includes executions, prison escapes, killing after parole, and more. So let's get right into the list, starting things off with number one, Leroy Snyder. So he was an American serial killer who committed the murders of seven people in New Jersey over seven months in 1969. He was convicted and sentenced to life in prison with a chance of parole. On October 1st, 2001, he had served 31 years of his initial sentence and he died in New Jersey State Prison at the age of 70. His sentence required him to serve 43 and a half years in prison before even being considered for parole, which would have been in 2014 when he would have been 84 years old. Second on the list is Edward Bates Soper. So this is a throwback serial killer and throwback crime. So in March 1895, he killed his first wife and two daughters in Archie, Missouri. Two years later in Portland, Oregon, he killed his son and that's when he was arrested. After his arrest, he confessed to more murders, and his first murder was in 1880 and was the murder of his father. He was hanged on March 30th, 1899. Just like wild, the kind of confession of when his first murder actually took place and just that it's all family. Okay, number three on the list is Anthony Edward Sowell, an American serial killer and rapist known as the Cleveland Strangler. He was convicted in 2011 of murdering 11 women whose bodies were discovered at his Cleveland, Ohio home in 2009. After being sentenced to death for the murders, he died in prison in 2021 from terminal illness. I find it just adds such a layer when these serial killers, like the bodies are at their homes. It's just something about it. Number four on the list, Robert Spangler. So on the morning of December 30th, 1978, in their Colorado home, he lured his wife Nancy into their basement. He promised her there was a surprise. That's when he shot her in the head with a revolver. He then went upstairs and he shot his teenage children. The son was slowly dying, so he smothered him with a pillow. He then altered the scene to make it appear that his wife had shot the kids and then herself, like a murder-suicide. He then murdered, sorry, he then married a second wife, and while married to her, she overdosed. I feel like there's red flags, obviously, with murdering your wife and children, and then your second wife just happens to overdose. Yeah, color me suspicious. Okay, then on April 11th, 1993, while he's married to his third wife, a 58-year-old, He took her hiking in the Grand Canyon and pushed her off of a 140-foot drop, and that is, of course, when she died. He pushed her off, like, the Grand Canyon, 140 feet. Can you imagine? Wow. In Colorado, the local authorities and FBI worked together to apprehend him. After confessing, he sent the FBI agent a letter. That is when he was just pleading them to minimize the publicity about the case. In this letter, he argued that he was not like other serial killers who target people for race or sexual orientation. His motivation to kill centered around the anticipated gain of eliminating his wives and children. 
During the interview, he told investigators that killing them was easier than divorce. Wow. He was apprehended in 2000, and to avoid a possible death sentence, he, who was at the time terminally ill with lung and brain cancer, pleaded guilty in federal district court to first-degree murder for killing his third wife, and he also admitted to to the killing of his first wife and his two children. He was sentenced to life imprisonment without parole, and he died the next year of terminal illness. This one is just, I, I know I just said about like, oh, that one is like just killing all their family. Wow, again, just killing your two kids and at least two wives as well, and easier than divorce. No, you are just like every other serial killer, psychopath. Fifth on the list, Roger Dale Stafford was a convicted serial killer and he was executed for the 1978 murders of the Lorenz family and six employees at a restaurant in Oklahoma. He never acknowledged his guilt, but his wife implicated him in a total of 34 murders in seven different states. Wow. Six on the list is Gerald Eugene Stano. He was an American convicted serial killer, and between 1969 and 1980, he murdered at least 22 young women and girls, and he confessed to 41 murders, though the police say the number of his victims may be closer to 88. He was found guilty of nine murders and received eight life sentences and one death sentence that was carried out by the state of Florida on the electric chair on March 23rd, 1998. For his final meal, he requested a steak, a baked potato with sour cream and bacon bits, salad with blue cheese dressing, lima beans, a half gallon of mint chocolate chip ice cream, and two liters of Pepsi. Seventh on the list is Carrie Anthony Stainer, also known as the Yosemite Park Killer, and he is an American serial killer and the older brother of a kidnapping victim, Stephen Stainer. He was convicted of the murders of four women between February and July 1998. Those murders occurred near the Yosemite National Park. That's where that nickname is coming from. He was sentenced to death for the four murders and is still on death row at San Quentin State Prison in California. I just find this one so interesting that his brother was a kidnapping victim and then he goes on to be a serial killer. It's just really like just a weird connection I feel like. Number eighth on the list is Richard E. Steves. He's an American serial killer who is currently serving life imprisonment for the 1985 murder of a man in Maine. He also murdered at least five other men between 1965 and 1966 in three separate states, although he was acquitted for those crimes by reason of insanity. Today's show supporter code is with mykitch.com. So my two favorite Kitsch products are one, the satin pillowcase. Love the fabric. So good for reducing the frizziness of my hair. And then also I feel like it's really great for my skin as well. And then the second one is the shower cap. So great when you need a shower, but you don't want to get your hair wet. Those are my two favorite, my go-tos. You can use code J-A-I-M-E-1-5 at mykitsch.com. That's K-I-T-S-C-H. I feel like I'm in a spelling bee. Um, for using the code there, just instant savings on either that satin pillowcase 
or the shower cap. They also have shampoo and conditioner bars. So many great products. Nine on the list is Paul Michael Stefani. He was an American serial killer. He's also known as the weepy voice killer due to a series of phone calls he made to police anonymously reporting his crimes in a remorseful and high-pitched voice. He killed three women between 1980 and 1982 in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. That weepy voice nickname is just so eerie. Number 10 on the list is Charles Stevens, an American serial killer responsible for shooting eight people over four months in the Northern California area in 1989, and he killed four of them. He earned the nickname the I-580 Killer as he committed all of his crimes on an 82-mile-long highway known as the California Interstate 580. Ballistic evidence exposed his involvement and he was sentenced to death. He currently resides in San Quentin State Prison. So many California serial killers. Number 11, Martin Stickles, also known as the Kelso Killer. He was an American serial killer who murdered three people in Washington between 1899 and 1900. So a throwback crime here. Convicted of these murders and sentenced to death, he was executed for the killings a year later, despite concerns over a possible mental illness. Number 12 on the list is Anthony Soli, an American serial killer and police officer responsible for the murders of six people between February and August 1983, and that was at his warehouse in California. He placed some of the corpses of his victims in metal drums and then poured concrete over them, and then he dumped them in a Golden Gate Park. He would later be found guilty of the killings in July 8, 1986 and sentenced to death. That is gruesome, putting the corpses of his victims in metal drums and then pouring concrete over them before dumping them. Wow. 13th on the list. This one is a bit more in-depth. And rather long, but really, really just interesting, creepy, all the things. So Jesse Donald Sumner was an American serial killer. In the early 1960s, Sumner and his alleged accomplice, 40-year-old Herschel Williams Jr., participated in several robberies and holdups. The two supposedly had a falling out and Sumner claimed that was because Williams was threatening his wife and children. On March 25th, 1983, Williams visited Sumner at his barber shop, and that's when he asked him to accompany him on another robbery. After refusing and having an argument about it, he then asked for a haircut. Ah, I I really feel like the red flags are going up here. Okay, so Sumner said, yeah, sure, I'll cut your hair. And at one point while he was cutting Williams' hair, he slashed his throat with the razor. After cleaning up the barber shop that is now a crime scene, he stuffed the body into a 55-gallon barrel and encased it in concrete, and then he buried it in a landfill in Bloomington. Side note, like, is, is this a thing? Serial killers are just stuffing people's bodies into gallon barrels and then putting concrete over it? Did I not know this? Okay, a year later, the barrels were located and local authorities authorities charged Sumner with Williams's murder. 
While being escorted out of the jail, he attempted to escape but was caught just a few minutes later. Sumner was given a sentence of 35 to 75 years imprisonment for the murder of Williams. He appealed his conviction after his incarceration and in 1969, the Supreme Court of Illinois ruled in favor of him and overturned the conviction. Unwilling to proceed with a new trial, he pleaded guilty to the lesser charge of voluntarily manslaughter, with his sentence being reduced to 10 to 15 years. However, due to his good behavior in prison, he was eligible for parole after serving six and a half years. Wow. In January 1972, Sumner was finally paroled on the condition that he be closely monitored. By the end of the month, he had found employment and was considered a helpful worker by his employer. In addition, he enrolled at the Illinois State University. On July 19th, Sumner was arrested on parole violation and that was after his wife reported that he had beaten her to such an extent that it required her to be hospitalized. I would say that is a heck of a parole violation. During his incarceration, he was interrogated in relation to the recent disappearances of college girls, and he was asked to undergo a polygraph test. His inconsistent and evasive answers eventually led authorities to believe that he might be involved in the disappearance of these college girls. However, Sumner was not charged immediately as investigators decided to look into the matter a bit more. In the meantime, he was charged with an unrelated count of aggravated incest, and that was because he was sexually abusing his daughter. He's just absolutely awful. On August 4th, just two days after that charge, he contacted the sheriffs and offered to lead them to where he had buried the bodies of two girls. After initially failing to locate them, he eventually led them to the burial site, the first being under his garage at their family home and the other being a, in a ditch west of town. Both women's remains showed signs of blunt force trauma and were positively identified through their dental records. Just a day later, he was arranged on a similar charge for the murder of another woman. While awaiting trial on those murder charges, he attempted to escape by sawing through the bars of his cell, but he was caught. Fearing that he might attempt it again, he was then temporarily moved to a more secure jail in Chicago. On the way there, he tried to steal a deputy's pistol, but again was unsuccessful. On September 19th, he and two other inmates at that jail attempted to escape by digging a hole through the jail's west wall, but they were stopped by the jail guards. While awaiting trial, he attempted to escape yet again, this time by sawing through his cell door with a sharpened piece of metal. While he failed to get past the lockup area, he managed to cut a deputy sheriff several times on his throat and the sheriff did have to be treated at the hospital. As a result of this, he was lodged in a maximum security cell, had his visitor privileges suspended, and was additionally charged with attempted murder, aggravated battery, criminal damage to property, and attempted escape, finally. When his trial finally began in September 1974, he unexpectedly pleaded guilty to killing the two girls. As a result, he would receive two consecutive 100 to 200 year terms on top of a 50 to 100 year sentence that he would later be given for the murder of a third girl. 
On February 10th, 1981, while serving his sentence, he was suddenly ambushed by another inmate. That inmate was a triple murderer and he stabbed Sumner with a shank. Sumner's injuries required 17 stitches and he was hospitalized for a week, but he later fully recovered. In 1988, Sumner was scheduled to go to a doctor's office to be fitted for a hearing aid. On the way, he used a homemade pistol to keep two guards and an office employee hostage. And then he fled, released one of the officers and the employee. He then um, held a random person hostage as well. And even somewhere along the way, he stole a red 1979 truck and started driving towards Sycamore. And that is where he was arrested again by local sheriffs. For the rest of his life, he remained incarcerated in prison. He died um, just from an undisclosed illness on December 4th, 2005. His death came as a surprise to some of his victims and the investigators' relatives who believed that he had died years prior. That one is just wild. Like so many like attempted escapes, holding people hostage, you know, just all of it. Wow. 14th on the list is Michael Sumter, so an American serial killer who raped and strangled three women in the greater Boston area from 1969 to 1973. He died before his DNA was matched to the rapes and murders. He was never tried for these crimes and was never convicted of murder. 15th and last on the list is Nicholas Sutton, an American serial killer who was responsible for murdering two acquaintances and his own grandmother in North Carolina and Tennessee from August to December 1979. Convicted and sentenced to life imprisonment for these crimes, he, among with three others, later participated in the 1985 prison killing over drugs. For his final crime, he was sentenced to death and executed in 2020 by the electric chair. That wraps up today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Just a reminder that show supporter code is jamie15 at mykitch.com. Thank you again for listening. I will see you next Sunday for more Sunday Scaries by Expresso Crime. Bye for now.